Free Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 81, Reducing Risk in Aviation and Flying Around Iceland, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 81 of Stuck Mike Avcast. I am Carl Valerian, I'm your host this evening. I'm joined by some of my favorite aviation freaks. I'm calling them freaks <laughs> this evening because they are just so freaky about aviation because of the fact they're excited to be here. I've had a wonderful night of aviation happiness watching balloons take off and land. I'm here in Pittstown, uh, New Jersey. Actually, a place called Sky Manor overlooking... Uh, the backyard of a friend of mine, and uh, the balloons were taking off. It was just wonderful. I'm joined by uh, Rick Felty. Hi, Rick. Hello, hello. And uh, that sounds fun. Nighttime balloon launches, huh? Yeah, actually, uh, it, well, it's nighttime now, but it was. But the they, when it happened, it, it, yeah, was it, happened it, was, it was twilight. It was twilight. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. It was absolutely gorgeous. It's uh, one of the things I take for granted being here in New Jersey. And yeah. uh, and for those of you that don't know, I actually moved my base back to up to the northeast in New York, so that's why I'm sitting in New Jersey right now. Um, and there's some really cool aviation that happens here. Anybody that actually has seen Pittstown or Sky Manor, uh, you know, send us some photos. We'd love to see some of the pictures of those balloons taken off. I'm also joined by uh, Victoria Zyko. Victoria, welcome. Hey there. Hey there. I think it's a first for me. This is the first time I've recorded in my pajamas. First time in your pajamas. Are they aviation pajamas? Feel free to send me some. <laughs> so, <laughs> They're pink with stripes. <laughs> I think that's a challenge, Wait, folks. Actually, actually, no. I have an airplane like the movie shirt on, and it says, I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Oh, Shirley. <laughs> Great. I forgot. Sure. I had awesome. to look down. Nice. <laughs> nice. Awesome. And uh, not joining us this evening is Sean Moody. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it. He's working some odd shifts, and uh, I do know understand about uh, not sleeping. But last but not least, we have Eric Crump in sunny Florida. Well, actually, it's not too sunny, is it? It's never sunny. But uh, but regardless, I'm I'm basking in the glow of the radiance of Rick and Victoria and Carl. So it's good enough. Nice, awesome. <laughs> well, well, folks, welcome and. Uh, <laughs> Eric, Eric is always happy. That's one thing I love about listening to Eric. He's always happy. It's because be I aviation every day. I mean, how can you not be happy? Yeah. <laughs> I, my life literally centers on aviation every single day. You know, I'm really jonesing for aviation, actually. I've spent <laughs> my last uh, vacation driving. I drove 800 miles. And, uh, you know, my friends say for somebody who's really into aviation, you drive a whole bunch. And reason being, and somebody who can fly for free, you drive a lot. <laughs> you know, I, well, we're not going to get into it, but I could... <laughs> We couldn't get on the flight. It was just that crazy. That's the only issue. I'm gonna, that's all I'm going to say about that. It was uh, the flights were full because we went to a city where, uh, just how it happens, Derek Jeter was playing his last game in Boston, Massachusetts, up in Rick Felty territory. Yeah, Rick and I had just missed each other. I drove by his house. I waved. He waved back. Right. right. Uh, we didn't have a chance to stop, unfortunately. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm really feeling guilty about this, Rick. Yeah. He actually was, sent me a picture of the back end of the car and said, yeah. uh, Eric, is this Carl's car? And I said, yeah, Rick, I'm sorry. I guess <laughs> yeah. he's just driving past you. <laughs> the road is like a 25-mile-per-hour zone, but he was like doing 45. Yeah, doing 45. <laughs> <laughs> he but he waved. He the got gas. the arm yeah. out the way. Yeah. <laughs> But I, no, I tell you, Massachusetts okay, no. is wonderful. There, there are there's some really cool aviation going on there. Norwood, uh, yeah. what the heck's Well, Han- Hanscom, Bedford, Bedford, Hanscom. Uh, there's another one up north. What am I? Well, there's Lawrence and Beverly. Beverly, Beverly. Like there's there's yes. a bunch of airports that ring the the Boston, uh, you know, proper, and that are just tucked under the shelf of uh, Logan. And so it's it's it makes for some fun, interesting, you know, just pay attention kind of times as you're, as you're leaving any of those airports, uh, but no, nothing complicated. And then, and then you got the, the ocean on the other side. So there's a lot of uh, fun stuff happening. And of course, Boston Logan is really cool to watch the airplanes take off and land from there. Yeah, it is right on the water, like, you know, like a, a few different airports around, around the country. And it's one of those that you generally make approaches over water. It's kind of fun. Right. Well, anyway, well, welcome to the show, folks. Uh, we're glad you're here. And, uh, Hey, if you get a chance, uh, Send us an email. Any questions, uh, any comments about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You know, this show's for you, and we'd love to bring you the, uh, you know, entertainment of flying, but also give you a little bit of education. Tonight's going to be a little bit of, a, of an education, a little bit of a discussion about something. I know Eric Crump and I and, and the rest of the folks at uh, Stuck Mike Avcast are passionate about, and that's safety and flying and trying to get in the air and, and getting people in the air that might think twice about it because of the safety issue. Let's do the pre-flight. As far as announcements this uh, evening, uh, the Stewart Air Show, actually, I was called into work, so I may not be able to make that Stewart Air Show. I know we've been talking about me going there, but we're going to see if we can get somebody out there to, to do some recording for us. And uh, uh, But we're going we're gonna to put that on hold for now and hopefully be at some other events. One of the cool things is, uh, the reason I went back to New York is I'm going to get weekends off. I get to do more with the folks over there at uh, Sun and Fun and right in Eric Crump's backyard. Well, just don't pull a Rick Felty. Come by and see me sometime. <laughs> wow. Yeah, just... Friendly fire, friendly fun. Yeah, just be, just be out front in your yard when he drives by. That's all I got to say. I feel I'll put a Throw spike eggs. strip down. He's not getting by me. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I got to buy one of those. Yeah, well, well, at least at least Eric says he's going to take me flying. Rick Rick doesn't take me up flying. Yeah, no. I, yeah, so we, I, we all have our... We all have our problems. Now entering cruise flight. Well, anyway, that's that's all we have as far as announcements are concerned. We're going to get right into our topic because we have a really intense topic this evening. Uh, and it actually comes uh, from a, a listener. But actually, wait a minute. Before we get into that topic, there is something interesting that uh, Victoria was involved with. I'm sorry, I forgot. You were you were in Iceland. I almost forgot which, which country it was. Iceland. And you had a blast. I saw the photos that you guys yeah. took. They were amazing. Lots uh, of them. They were, yeah, it was phenomenal. The the lights at night. There, there's, uh, you know, I think, was it you took a picture in the Milky Way? I can't remember what it was. but uh, we, did, we got a lot of pictures Bob, of the Northern Lights. Bob was, yeah, yeah, pretty amazing pictures. He did there a was, nice job. We even got selfies in front of them. That was how good it was. Wow. Yeah. But how about any... Aviation. Did you get to check out any aviation miles? Yes. Well, first off, you said you drove 800 miles <laughs> on your vacation. Yeah. Yes, we, we drove 1,800. Oh, ouch. We got to see three quarters of the country. Um, we started off in Reykjavik. And if you ever are going Iceland Air to Europe, they allow you to do up to seven days layover. And that's the perfect amount of time to do the ring road that goes all the way around Iceland. 
And uh, you can pick up your number of days. A lot of people just stop in Reykjavik for a day or two and do the major sites. So um, that is something that I highly recommend if you're heading over to Europe, stop in Iceland for as long as you can before continuing on your way. So if you go to Reykjavik, they have um, a local airport there. And the, there's a bridge that goes over the highway just before the, what's the word, the approach end of the, the runway. And I have a picture of me standing up on this bridge, and it looks like I'm tossing the airplane because the airplane is going right through my hands that I'm holding up. Awesome. So it's perfect bridge for watching all these airplanes going in and out. And I was so shocked at how many GA airplanes I saw. I was not expecting to see aviation to be that alive and well on this little island. Uh, they do have a lot of tours that go fly over Iceland and go over all the islands and show you glaciers, um, helicopters that land on glaciers, helicopters and airplanes that fly over the volcanoes. So um, there's also a few that go over to Greenland. But I was pretty shocked in, at seeing just how alive and well aviation was there. So it was really cool. So if you go to Reykjavik... Find this park that's in the end of the city. There's a beautiful walk, like sidewalk, going around the pond. And that's right where the uh, airplanes all go over. And if you find a bridge over the highway, you can just stand there and watch all the airplanes come and go. That's cool. Yeah. So the second part um, that was really neat that we saw, we're just driving along aimlessly. We had a uh, Land Rover camper, so we just slept on the side of the road whenever uh, we got tired and spent the night. And we were in the West Fjords, just driving along, just exploring, and we see a DC-3 on the side of the road. Oh, cool. And there's this little old uh, museum just with all kinds of Iceland nostalgia. It's called, I'm going to butcher the name i'm going to spell it h-n-j-o-t-u-r folk museum and there's a dc-3 there that actually was used to take people out of the area when in 1973 when a uh, volcano was erupting and it served over 20,000 hours in the area and it's an it's a u.s navy uh dc-3 so it was quite funny to just be driving along and to see that there it was really neat. That's awesome. I, and you got to go check it out and mess around with it? or no? Oh, yeah. We were taking pictures. The museum was closed since it's late December, September, and it was uh, kind of their off season. But we got to you know walk around all the outside exhibits, which included the airplane, and see what was going on there. Further north, uh, we also saw some airplanes in the more north region, uh, the largest city there called... Oh, shoot. What was it called? At Curie. At Curie. Sorry, I had to ask Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was a really foggy day, and there it's a very mountainous region, and I was surprised when we were at a restaurant on the fifth floor seeing airplanes going in and out. So I'm curious on doing some more research what um, their instrument rules are and wondering how many of those airplanes were scud running and how many were actually on approaches because uh, those approaches would be pretty interesting in the fog with all the mountains. Yeah, it sounds so. a little dangerous to be scud running out there. Yeah, I look forward to learning more. But I, I was happy to see so many airplanes because I know Europe you know, has a lot more expensive gas and 
fees when flying. So it made me happy. Yeah, I'm curious. What You talked about general aviation. Now, this general aviation was recreational, but I'm assuming it, there's a lot of utility involved with GA there, just like in Alaska and in Maine. I, I'm assuming they're an island. They have to import so much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I saw Cessnas left and right all over the place. Cool. So. Yeah. Hey, now those pictures, do you have any of those on your blog as far as the airplane or anything? Um, no, but I'll put them there. That's awesome. a very good idea. Thank you. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll see that at, uh, where, how do they find that blog again? It's Tori. The, it's thepixiepilot.com now. Thepixiepilot.com. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Hey, uh, oh, had a gosh. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at it right now. It looks really good. You got to check Thank it you. out, thepixiepilot.com. That is so neat. I love the stars and the happiness of it. It's, it's, and, it's lots of girly happiness. Yeah, it is girly Sorry happiness. to all the guys who read yeah, it. No, it's a little no, girly it's now. It's all good. I like but it. But it needed it. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, great great makeover. As a matter of fact, now that I'm looking at the page, it's reminding me that uh, you're going to be somewhere on uh when are you you're doing something i think on october 4th what are you doing saturday october 4th is the aopa homecoming if you recall aopa is not doing their usual conference anymore and they're doing fly-ins all over the country it ends with coming back to aopa uh at frederick municipal airport i will be there from nine to four in booth 21 um, working with Aviation Insurance Resources, and we actually will have a special guest, Turbo the Flying Dog. Cool. So he's going to be there to meet everyone. And if you come on by um, at Hangar E7, which is also the Aviation Insurance Resources Hangar, we are having a free cookout for anyone who's interested from 11 to 2. So you can see me in both those spots. Well, awesome, awesome. So go check that out at uh, pixiepilot.com. Yep. And uh, and you'll see that, that announcement there. Terrific. Well, let's get on to our, our main topic here. Uh, before we do, just a quick shout-out to AviationUniverse.us. Hey, if you like the podcast, do me a favor. Go to AviationUniverse.us, AviationUniverse.us. They're, they're our sponsors, and uh, they've been helping us with this podcast for quite some time. And uh, send them an email. Tell them how much you appreciate Stuck Mike and how much you appreciate AviationUniverse.us. Uh, but moving on to our topic here, this is uh, pretty interesting. I, I, I know we're real excited to get going on this. Uh, it was an email that was sent to us uh, from a listener, and really fascinating, and brings up some incredible topics in my mind and, and in my life right now for aviation. So let me read it, and then we'll, we'll get to some of the questions they have. Uh, it says, Hi, Carl. First of all, thanks for the great podcast that keep me entertained and informed about aviation, both stuck mic and aviation careers. I have a question that you prompted when you mentioned that you had a scare when your engine hesitated at night while you were instructing. Here's a short backstory followed by my question. About a year ago, I co-owned a Cherokee 180 that had an engine failure on takeoff with one of the members in our club with an instructor. Fortunately, they got out alive, but they were hospitalized for head injuries, which I believe is hugely in part due to the lack of shoulder belts. This crash brought things closer to home. I'm now trying to think of how I can mitigate those risks. I know I can't afford a Cirrus or a twin engine. Is the basic way just to fly airplanes at stall at slower speeds to reduce the likelihood of Cirrus injury at a forced landing? That's his first question. So next is, how did you mitigate those risks when you were flying single-engine piston aircraft? And the next question is, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, that was it. That, those are the two questions. It says, thank you for taking the time to read this, and I hope uh, I did not ramble too much. By the way, this reminds me, if you have any questions like this, go ahead and, and send them in. We'll 
<clears throat> make sure that we uh, de-identify them. We're not going to mention your name on the podcast. So go to Aviation Careers. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> go to Stuck My Gavcast and uh, and go uh, just send a, send a, do the contact page and send us a question. But this brings up some really good points, and I know uh, Eric's kind of passionate about this this topic, and so am I. I think about this myself. Uh, you you know. The the writer mentioned that I don't fly single engines much, but I I actually have. It's just that I haven't done much of it lately as far as uh, going out there flying my own aircraft, and I am getting back into it. Um, I I do tend to mitigate those risks, and I'm going to mention those. But Eric, um, you know, what would you say to myself, someone who is getting back into single engine flying, and and what would you say to this listener about what they should think about as far as mitigating risks in their flying? Yeah, I was really excited when I read this question earlier um, because it's actually a common question that I get virtually every day, especially from new primary students um, who, who ask that. And when you're dealing with you know, 15, 20 primary students at a time, um, a, they, they often talk to them amongst themselves more than they, they talk to you. And so by the time someone comes to talk to me, Generally, what that means is that about 20 of them have been sitting around a table wondering, you know, are, are we certainly just absolutely going to die if the engine quits during a, a takeoff? <laughs> and so um, it's, it's such an important part of training and, uh, and one that we obviously emphasize. But I think um, when you've been out of aviation for a while or when you get out of flying a certain kind of airplane and you come back to it again – I think Victoria actually mentioned this when we were talking about staying current a few episodes ago. You you focus so much on just physically flying the airplane that some of those decision factors and procedural things sort of flutter out the window. And your primary focus, which obviously it has to be, is, is flying the airplane. And I will do this, the airplane will do that, and that's certainly important. But when we're coming back to aviation, we're coming back to an unfamiliar airplane um, those procedural points tend to fade out the window. And, um, you know, I guess the short answer to this question is adopt a standardized takeoff briefing. Use it every time you fly. doesn't matter what airplane you fly. Um, and it's actually part of our checklist for our aircraft um, before uh, the airplane can enter the runway environment. Um, a takeoff briefing has to be conducted. Now, we'll probably conduct the takeoff briefing the first time before we ever move the airplane from the ramp. Um, but then we're going to rebrief on items that are different or you know, special considerations like, for example, engine failure on takeoff procedures before we take the runway. And um, you know, people often ask, well, but what about when you're single pilot? There's no instructor on board. Do you still go through all that stuff? Well, yeah, of course you do. But what about you, really? Seriously, Eric, you're flying airplanes from one point to another. You really go through all that stuff? Yeah, I, I do every single time because the, the best way to avoid getting into an accident situation uh, and the difference, really, the, the pivot factor between a forced landing and an accident is the way you respond uh, to the event immediately upon uh, its occurrence. And the only way you're going to be good at that is by practicing and having a practiced, standardized approach to every takeoff, every time. And that's some great advice as far as, you know, what to do. And I, I think as far as takeoffs, that, that's something that you should think about, you know, while you're going to the airport. I think it's, it's a great idea. The, the one, one thing, though, that, that kind of struck me in this question, Eric, is the fact that I think that's the what, but the why behind the question. You know, why uh, why do we fly? Let's just back up a little bit. And, and 
we fly because we enjoy it. We love the scenery, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But Eric, you know, we really probably we can't get rid of all risk in life, uh, and we just try to mitigate well, it, right? Well, that's the funny thing. Um, I was actually talking with a commercial student the other day, and we were talking about risk mitigation. I was like, well, you know, you elect to accept risks every day just by getting out of the bed. I mean, you could stay in the bed, but ultimately there's still risk, like an asteroid could fall in your house. Um, so some risks are, you know, astronomically insignificant in terms of the probability they could occur, but some are much more common. Some aren't very severe if they were to occur, um, and others are very severe. So it's not just a matter of um, blindly accepting risk. We know we're flying through an air through through the air in an airplane above the ground, um, so we we have to accept certain risks to fly airplanes. That's just a given. However, it's never a good idea to accept unnecessary risk, and you're never going to get rid of every risk factor that exists. But um, as alluded to in the question, you can absolutely mitigate those risk factors through training procedures, um, uh, recurrent flying. Um, and just basic, uh, basic uh, procedural adherence is, is a huge thing. Um, but yeah, you're never going to get rid of all the risks associated with flying an airplane. But honestly, if you did, it wouldn't be any fun. Um, you have to accept certain risks to get in an airplane in the first place. But my argument to that is you have to accept risks to get out of the bed too. And that's one of the things that I struggle with is that you know I, I love general aviation airplanes. My wife does not because uh, of an accident uh, with somebody she really knew very well. And, you know, I, I try to tell her the same thing. Hey, listen, you know, I, there's risks in everything we do. I'm not, I'm not going to stop living my life uh, and enjoying my life to the fullest uh, just because something is risky. I try to mitigate those risks. But I'm still going to go out. I'm going to go kayaking. Uh, I'm going to go swim in the ocean, spear fishing. I know there's sharks out there. Uh, there's all sorts of things that we do recreationally that includes certain risks. It's we just try to mitigate those risks. Like when I'm like a good example, spear fishing. <laughs> you know, once you get the fish on the spear, I head up and I go back to the boat. I know guys that stay down there for a while, but uh, I just don't like being in the water with a bloody fish. And and we can relate that to aviation. I mean, uh, what it, what is your bloody fish? What it, what are you doing that might make you a, a bigger target for an accident incident? You know, for some shark to eat you. So we don't we don't want that to happen to you. Um, I do I do say I, I will say this, and Eric and and Rick can comment on this. Uh, with having children, sometimes I think about, gosh, you know, I don't have any kids, and and but I have a spouse and all. I think you know it, it would, uh, and this goes through my mind. What would happen if if something happened to me? You know, and I and it goes through my mind every so often. Them saying in my mind, hey, you know, we told you not to do that. Uh, you know, Rick, can you comment on that? I mean, do you, do you feel like that that you you are in a situation where you're doing something fun that might be putting your family at risk? Um, yeah, you know, you think I think you think differently about a lot of things when you when you have the responsibility of having kids, and um, there's moments where certain things have kind of popped closer to, you know to the front of my mind, like, oh, yeah, that that would be, you know, that this does. let's think carefully about whatever it is. It isn't about flying doesn't seem to be one of those things. I don't think, um, frankly, my bigger chance with challenge with flying is the time it takes to do it when, when the child isn't involved. And so then I'm gone, you know, it's the time away, but in terms of risks, no, I, you know, I think, I think what Eric said was true, which is that there's risks, 
in in everything to varying degrees and you take on those risks to take on the thing you might be interested in and they are they are very you know they they the risks are various and then you do your best to you know, to mitigate them, you know, some of the things are just, you know, and I, I agree, you know, recurrent flying, flying often enough to stay sharp. Um, and so that you, you don't get sloppy because there are things that can start to be, can start to happen to you, uh, that, you know, say you don't climb out, uh, you know, appropriately, you know, quickly enough. So, so that what wants to be the right climb out rate isn't there, you know, cause I'm up in the air, here I go, but then you're not getting enough distance, you know, from the ground to be able to make a safe, uh, alternate plan should something happen. So there's, there's just some, some basic things that if you focus on them and I think the call out, the call out, um, uh, b- before takeoff, before you know entering the runway, is is another great one, even to yourself. So any call out to yourself, you know, is to help keep you focused on what has to happen to mitigate um, uh, bad situations is is an important thing to do too. I mean, the thing the thing that comes to my mind, I'll just throw out there, is the idea, especially if you've been away and, and you come back to it uh, to flying, is um, a lot because a lot of what we do while we're trying to have fun is mitigate risks. There's a, I sometimes feel I have a tendency to focus on the risks while, while trying to think through all of the, you know, the mitigation factors so that, um, there's less, there's less thought about the fun because the fun sort of just happens and there's more thought about the things that, you know, that you want to be careful about. And so, so I find the challenge with mitigating risk to be balancing that with the enjoyment. And knowing how to stay sharp and, you know, and have a good time, too. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but that's always been my challenge. That's probably just me, <laughs> but maybe not. No, I, I focus on that, too. I mean, I, I find myself trying to go back to that, focusing on the risk, because the other risk factor is you get complacent. You know, I, I look back at my say I look back at the past thousand hours I did. It's like, gosh, you know what? When was I too complacent? Uh, and then I start focusing on the different risk factors as I'm, as I'm actually thinking about that saying, Oh, okay. Now I got to think about, you know, where am I going to land? What am I going to do? What if the engine quits? Where am I going to go? That type of thing. What if I have a fire on board? Kind of play those things through my mind every so often. And, you know, as we're discussing this, one of the things that went through my mind is, you know, how could it, how could this be enjoyable if we're worried so much about risk? But I think part of it is the enjoyment for me is that it, it makes me focus on the flying so much and it clears my head of other things you know when i'm when i'm flying yeah. i think that's true of other people right and yeah and it, it it is fun anyway it's just that like say mostly for me it's the preparation so that i'm so focused on the risk potential that i don't remember that if i just get going it'll be a blast you know so then it is and it's all fine and it's so for me sometimes especially if i haven't flown for a while it is uh, I have to kind of make sure I get to that point where the fun starts <laughs> and and then it's all so it's almost like I, I having flown is just a wonderful thing prior to that it, I have a lot of focus on you know the risk mitigation so to speak so so yeah it's it's just a thing that but but I do think you're right the fun is there um and and we do it for the fun. And I think there's a way to walk that line. And I, a lot of people do it well. You know, a lot of people who fly often enough um, stay sharp. They, they you know, they, they don't put anyone or themselves at risk and they have a good time. And it's, it's possible to do that, of course. Sure. Now, getting back to his question, and uh, 
I, I, I think he was talking about different airplanes, maybe that stall at slower speeds, et cetera. And I've, I always go back to what someone told me a long time ago, and I forget who it was, is, you know what, a little J3 Cub can 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 kill you just as easily as a as a large jet going really fast. So it it doesn't really really matter, you know, what what is happening, you know, that type of thing. Uh, you know, what you're flying, it's uh, it's how you fly it and how you actually work the the system. But with that said, uh, I do know someone who flew a, a glider and was able to you know actually crash his glider and total the glider and walk away from it. So there is something to be said about the low impact of something that's smaller. Uh, you know that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I, I will say this too. I, um, you know, a good portion of my flying was in was in a Cirrus, and it, you know what? It I didn't really think about that. Mostly that parachute. I thought about being careful not to accidentally deploy it or do anything around it. I didn't really think. Oh boy, am I glad that's there because because often. For me, the you know the the more challenging areas where you know obviously the riskier parts of flight are, are the parts near the ground, and at that point you know you're not you know you're not pulling that parachute if well it depends it depends on the situation. But I never really thought about it much, and I didn't choose that plane because of that um, because he did he does mention that. I mean, sure, it's an added secondary factor, but it doesn't it doesn't um, you know save your bacon in all situations. Yeah, and you know, he mentioned something here about the twin. I mean, I remember having this conversation with TJ. Uh, remember TJ, he's the one that's flown the Cirrus all over the all you know, 50 states and all. He's flying around with Len, and he's done some really interesting things. And he actually uh, listened to me talk about the Cirrus, and uh, he was convinced to keep keep the Cirrus. He was thinking about going to a twin. A huh. twin-engine airplane can actually be more dangerous in the wrong hands. In other words, if you don't have the training... Uh, the twin can can make you go upside down fairly quickly if you lose an engine yeah. if you don't right. know what you're doing. So yeah, I remember you and that. Eric. I remember you and Eric talking about that. I think at some point, and and I knew that, but it was it was even more dramatic to hear you each um, discuss it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. VMC roll is no joke. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's no joke. It's not a place you want to be. It's not a fun right. experience. Yeah. But but as far as a type of airplane, the size, uh, yeah, it, it, the smaller plane, you're not going to have as much of an impact. But uh, then again, a smaller plane can't go and do the same things that well, I want to do in an airplane. Yeah, and it would seem to me training, you know, it's training, training, training. It's getting comfortable with it. It's knowing your limitations while you get comfortable with it, not being cocky about it. You know, there are planes that are faster and slipperier, you know, so you learn how to get them slowed down to the appropriate speed in time. You know, it's just a different thing. And and it seems to me that with training, you, I don't, I, I guess that my response would be, I don't know that it matters in terms of mitigating risks, um, what you're flying. Although maybe there are some planes that have a better or worse record. And I don't know if that's Victoria. Victoria could probably speak to that on a, on a show with much longer recording time. Yes. Yeah. And that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask Victoria about is, is the, they see planes uh, that have more issues as far as accident rates, et cetera higher accident rates. Yeah. Oh, yes. There's there's definitely um, preferred rates for certain aircraft that have proven decent safety records, especially if there's more of them out there available, meaning more parts to fix them, more people flying them in the system. And then there's aircraft that, um, just an example that kind of started to have a bad rep in the industry, like Lansairs. They had lots of crashes way back when because... You know, a lot of people that could afford them were going right up into this really cool, fast aircraft, but just weren't prepared to fly it. So 
they kind of got a bad rep and there's less of them out there. So they don't get those great uh, rates as say like a Cessna 172 trainer would be. And that goes back to what Rick was saying that, you know, we, you really need to go back and do some training in those aircraft. You know, it's all about the training uh, in the right hands. I guess it'd be fine. Uh, how about the other thing that's interesting is how about, uh, well, experimental aircraft or home built aircraft. You know, I've always tell people, make sure you know the person that built it or, or make sure you do a good job building it. You know, Victoria, you've spent a few hours in a home built, right? Oh, just a few. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you ever think about that? I mean, you know the person that built the aircraft. No. Um, you know, when I step into an aircraft, it's not, I don't worry about it if it's certified or experimental. Yeah, you want to trust the pilot that you're with if it's not a plane that you fly usually or a person you fly with. Um, yes, you want to make sure it was properly built. You know, obviously a person you trust to fly with is going to have, do their, do their work and have an A&P look it over before they purchase it. But safety wise, that's not really a concern of mine, but experimentals can be safer in a fact that they can put in newer types of equipment that certified aircraft can't put yet because these companies have to go through this huge FAA process to get that equipment certified to be put in their, that aircraft. So um, dual ignition systems, electronic. electronic ignition systems you can put in experimental aircraft have been proven to be more um, You can't put that in your Cessna, about, but you could go ahead and put it in your glass air. How about the angle of attack indicators, that type of thing? Exactly. Those two, that's a perfect example. So in insuring these, uh, say an experimental, and this is, I would assume that your rates are similar, um, and it, the the I guess the loss ratio or the uh, is just as high as in a in a standard single engine. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to tell me that. Mm, similar. You know, it's 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 hard to tell. By rule, usually experimentals are at least a little bit more. It's it's so hard to compare because aircraft insurance is just so different. Um, it's not always just the aircraft. You're looking at the pilot that's flying the aircraft too. You know, you're looking at the hours and the experience. So just kind of like Rick said, how you have to learn this aircraft. If you go and get a new fast aircraft, you're going to have to slowly work your way up to. Um, Per, uh, pushing your personal limitations. So when you're in that aircraft and you don't have much experience in it, of course your insurance is going to be a lot more than five years down the road. You have 200 hours in your own aircraft. You know it. You know how to fly it. You trust it, and um, your insurance rates, you know, should go down from there too. So it's it's a mix. It's a mix of the experience and the um, what the aircraft is. So I I know in one of the planes I flew, uh, I used to do a lot of flying in a Tomahawk. And uh, it got a really bad rap for a while because of the stall characteristics. They put some stall strips in, and it really isn't that big of a deal. Uh, but but a lot of people stay away from that uh, because of those stall characteristics. But if you have someone who has the training, it's not a big deal. We keep going back to that. It seems, you know, what what about the training? You know, and, and that's really important. And in answering his question, the, the the listener's question is, you know, I fly planes all the time, but when I get into a single engine aircraft. Uh, that I don't know, I grab somebody that has knowledge. And, and remember that, that that person doesn't necessarily have to be a flight instructor. There's a lot of people that fly that, that specific airplane that have more knowledge than an instructor would. A good example is the airlines. Most instructing done at the airlines is not done by instructors. 
flight instructors. It's done by other pilots, and they're allowed to do that. So, so you need to find somebody who has a lot of experience with the aircraft that you want to fly, and you just go out there and say, "Hey, you know, what do I need to do? You know, what what, what keep me safe in this airplane?" And I think that's really really important in, in my mind. Um, but experimentals, I think, are 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 great depending on. Uh, in my mind, who who built it? That's what I do. I look at the person that built it. Do I trust the person that built it? And uh, on all the flying that I've done, experimentals uh, I've done with people that I can trust and that I can fly with. Um, but you in know, regards to uh, building an experimental, just to defend them and the builders a little bit, um, a person who's building an aircraft and devoting, you know, four hundred hours plus, they're going to know a little something. I want to build one so bad, but you would not buy one for me because you know I would never finish it because I don't know what the heck I'm doing putting things together in my garage. A lot of these experimentals, um, most experimental people, I know I'm sure there's some out there that don't know what they're doing either, but um, they have to go through you know, the same process certified aircraft do. They have to be approved airworthy. And most of the time there's people, they're usually engineers. A lot of A&Ps themselves are building these. So um, while, yeah, it's good to know who built it and do a good inspection, um, a lot of the experimentals are out there, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid of. Well, that's good to hear. That's a good endorsement. As a matter of fact, you know, there's a huge organization called the Experimental Aircraft Association that has uh, a lot of avenues you can go down for training, for training and building, uh, questions, et cetera. There's, there's, uh, you know, I've been involved in quite a few Experimental Aircraft Association chapters, and, and you're right. Most of those people, uh, I, I would go up in the airplanes. They're usually very, they're, they're very conscientious, just like most pilots, and very professional about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 and I think, you know, I think we've answered his, his question, uh, fairly well, but if, does anybody else have anything to add, Eric, Rick? I would just second the notion. It's, it's so much goes back to training. It, and I think a lot of times, most pilots, the, the last time you saw a, a simulated engine failure was your practical test, you know, and then it's not going to happen to you two weeks after that, most likely. It's going to happen years and years down the road um, that, you know, on, on a Thursday afternoon at 3.30, you know, just, it's not going to be, th- these things don't happen when you expect that they're going to happen. And when you guys were talking about, um, you know, low time pilots or, or flying um, and just being out of the habit, I was thinking about a video I saw on YouTube this week, actually. Um, somebody put, I don't know, six different cameras all over this airplane for their first solo go out in the airplane, take off, and you can tell the airplane's not climbing like it should. And so the person starts to sort of make this uh, shallow turn and ends up crashing into a tree. Um, and most of the cameras break off the airplane, but they found the cameras and got the footage and put it all together and showed it from multiple perspectives. And it was sort of one of those, I did something dumb, here's this thing on YouTube for everybody else's benefit. And, um, you know, when you when you look at it, you're like... What in the world could have happened? You know, everything looked like it was going fine. The climb rate was going fine. And then all of a sudden it seemed to level out and then it started to go down. But you didn't really get this impression that the engine, there was any trouble with the engine. Um, and it turns out that um, it, was a, it was a student pilot, first solo, um, got really excited in the climb out and ended up inadvertently um, not getting the throttle all the way in. Um, throttle was about 75% power. And, um, you know, it wasn't enough to climb and, um, and it ends up resulting in a, you know, in a, a, a forced landing 
event. Luckily, the the guy flying the airplane was okay. Um, the airplane got stuck in a tree, but you know, other than that, everybody was fine. And um, and it just such a simple thing. We think, well, how could you how could you take off without pushing the throttle all the way in? I mean, that's just and we do that all the time. This person had been trained to do that all the time, and it just it goes to show that if you get out of the habit of looking for those same constant things over and over again, regardless of where you are in your training or how many years or how many hours you've flown, there's always the opportunity for something to to get the best of you. And it's not just the initial training experience. It's so much of that recurrent training mindset. And, um, and that doesn't mean that you have to be with an instructor. It doesn't even mean that you have to be in an airplane. Um, you know, 30 minutes of chair flying a week is free, and it's just a great idea. And, yeah, the first couple of times you do it, you may feel kind of dumb, but you're going to really be thankful when you go back to the airplane you haven't been to in a month, two months, three months, and you still remember where everything is. You still remember all the procedures. You still remember all the checklist procedures, and you can still fly the airplane because you've kept those skills sharp. So if if anything comes out of this from my perspective, it's – you know, I, I'm a little bit biased. I'm always going to say training, 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 but it, it it's really important. It's and it doesn't. I guess the the big the culmination of that idea is training isn't just for people who are pursuing a certificate or rating. Training is a is a state of being. If you want to be a pilot, you never stop training. I mean, if you do, then you're just opening up more opportunities, more risk factors to get yourself in a situation you're not prepared to deal with. Eric, I think that's a great great way to end that that portion of the talk. You know, there's one thing uh, that we didn't mention or we didn't talk about that was in his question. He asked about uh, shoulder restraints, that type of thing, and and I'd like you to comment on this. Is you know, do you teach your students to wear? Well, you're obviously going to say yes. You probably teach your <laughs> students to wear their shoulder harnesses uh, during every takeoff and landing. Uh, and is this something that that you drill in their head? And say, hey, listen, don't. Don't ever take off and land without your shoulder straps. And I, I'm going to give you some statistics real quickly after you after you comment. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, yes, you got to wear your shoulder restraint. It's a legal requirement. More so than that, though, most modern airplanes are built as a as a three piece seat belt anyway, just like your car is. When you get into some, you know, older airplanes, you'll still have the lap belt and the detachable uh, shoulder harness. But because of years and years of research done, just like this person pointed out in his comment. Um, you know, of an unfortunate event that occurred, we've we've studied this and found, which I'm sure between the statistics you have in Victoria could probably comment too, we know that having a shoulder harness on in an airplane creates a safer flight environment, regardless of whether you're in normal flight operations or whether you're making a forced landing. And so because of that, most, I mean, as far as I'm aware of, most modern aircraft manufacturers, uh, most of the airplanes I've been in recently, have a three-place uh, shoulder harness or a three-place seatbelt. And if they don't, if it's still a lap belt, that's because most of them have evolved to a four-point harness where two, two shoulder harnesses will come over, um, over both your shoulders. So I think we've evolved quite a bit in our mentality toward aircraft seatbelts. And that's not even to get started on uh, seatbelt airbags and all the other safety features that have been introduced into modern uh, GA airplanes. Now, there's something else to be said about seatbelts, especially the uh, shoulder harnesses. Now, how many of you get in there and have it loose enough so you can move around, turn behind you, adjust your knobs, or how many of you have it as tight so you're actually secure into the aircraft? Do we have to answer? 
All right, I'll be honest. I will yeah, tell like... you that mine is loose, so yeah. I can move around and be comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I do that too sometimes. You know, I, I loosen it up. I have yeah. a friend. Yes, you too. Well, yeah, I was going to agree. I was, uh, definitely guilty. Although I will say, in the Cirrus, it's over both shoulders and it's quite comfortable. And the Cessna makes me crazy because it cuts right, for me, yeah, it cuts right at my neck and I can't adjust it. Yeah. In the type of belts between those two aircraft. How about you, Eric? Are you loose or are you tight? <laughs> <laughs> well, since you put it that wow. way. Wow. This is a whole different podcast tag. now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, children, turn off the podcast. Um, so, no, no, I mean, it's got to be loose enough so that I can move around. Um, at the same time, um, you know, when you're flying in turbulent air, um, and I, I do this, I teach students the same thing. If you get into turbulent air and you're flying around weather, um, you need to reach up, especially if you're in a modern airplane with an inertial reel, give it a tug and let it tighten itself up because you're going to need it. You don't know, you don't realize what kind of um, acceleration, deceleration force there is in turbulence until you fly into the ceiling of the airplane one or two times. Um, and so, yeah, normally flying around, yeah, it's got to be loose enough so I can move around. But at the same time, if I know I'm going to be in turbulent air, I'm going to tighten that sucker up. Well, here's my point. I have a friend that owes their life to having that harness tight, secure into that chair, um, flying over the desert, lost the engine, um, added a ditch in the desert, flipped over several times, and uh, she swears she would not be alive today if she had a loose um, harness. She was alive because she was kept in that aircraft tight to the seat. And if it would have been loose, just the G-forces that were spinning their airplane, had tail over nose several times, she wow. said she would not be here today. So um, after hearing that story, I was it, it makes me think twice when I'm putting on those shoulder harnesses that I hate to because you just feel so scrunched in this little airplane in the sky. But, you know, a little tighter, a little tighter is not a bad idea. So you can still reach that GPS or turn some knobs on the heading indicator. But after that story, I'm definitely going tighter. <laughs> well, there's a lot of planes that have those inertial reels on them, too. I mean, most of the planes mm -hmm. I'm flying now have that. And even the our 182 had that. Yeah. yeah. So it depends. Kind of hit can, nerve. Well, you know, you can purchase those. I mean, we put them mm -hmm. on the 182, and uh, I think they're great. Um, but yeah, yeah, that way you don't have to worry about tightening it up. Because uh, I know sometimes we, we loosen them a little bit too much. So. Is that on your emergency checklist? Tighten seatbelt, you know? <laughs> uh, no. Something to think about. No, it's, 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 it should be, you know? Uh, it's not, not on the one that I have. And, and I, I think you're right. I think we should put that in there. And that you've mentioned that. I mean, that's a great statistic. And then, you know, or a great story, I should say, to go along with that. You know, I was just reading that 38% of all GA fatalities are caused by head injuries. That's a lot. You know, we could just... Uh, and, and a lot of those were due to people that had... Uh, seatbelts that just either weren't there, and uh, or weren't being used. Uh, so that's that's a that's a that there's a testament right there to to don't be part of that statistic. So there's something that you can do. Hey, it's it's a tool you can use to make yourself safer. And uh, you know, listen to listen to Victoria's friend. I'd I'd love to hear hear that story and have her have her tell it to us and say, hey, listen, you know, don't do this. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, a big shout out. Speaking of, you know, I know Eric said he didn't want to get too down far down the road as far as uh, seatbelt airbags, but a big shout out to those folks at AmSafe. I think that's a really cool uh, seatbelt that they have with the airbag on it. Uh, a lot of airliners are going to that too, and uh, a lot of my friends I've seen flying GA have have them and. 
I think they're pretty cool. I think it's a, it's a great idea that works in the cars. Uh, so uh, I don't know what uh, what the experience is in GA. I don't know about you, Victoria. Have you read much in the insurance industry about that? No, not too much. It's not a huge consideration um, unless it's standard in the aircraft. Then uh, you know that plays a role. Right. I guess the newer ones have them, right? The newer airplanes that are out, uh, a bunch of them have the new airbag systems in them. Oh, new yeah, Cessnas. I think it's it's still optional. I don't is think it? it's a standard feature. Don't quote me on that, though. Um, but you know, I can just tell you from I think Rick commented on the the comfort level of the standard 172 seat belt. It just it's like slowly sawing at your jugular. And if you exactly you know, if I fly for 0.1 more, I'm pretty sure I'm going to bleed out. Yeah, um, exactly. and it, it can get really it can get really awful. Um, but I'm telling you what the 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 Amsafe seat belt is. I mean, it, it's really comfortable because um, it's just a big bubble, and it actually the way where it sits on you. It actually sits right under, well, it sits right there on your jugular, really, between your clavicle and your jaw. And um, it it actually provides a little bit of, I don't know, a little bit more structure or something. It's like, you, you can tell the difference when you sit in a flat chair or when you sit in a chair that's custom fit to you. It's kind of the same thing. It's the difference between just having a seatbelt gnawing at you and having a more comfortable thing. I don't know how to describe it. You have to <laughs> go buckle up in one and you'll see what I'm talking about. But it's a huge difference and you don't get that whole sawing effect you know it's interesting we were talking about amsafe i just looked at their website they're saying 80 percent of the new ga aircraft have the uh, seatbelt airbag system in it that's pretty interesting so i guess they have a pretty big market share uh, on that i didn't realize that uh the amsafe but uh, you know anything that's going to prevent you from smacking your head against anything is a great thing so uh, i'd love to get more statistics on that uh, so that's something in the future we gotta look towards well, gosh, guys, we're, we're running up against this hour here. I, we could talk probably another 10 hours on this topic and uh, some get some more you know granularity and, and a lot of different uh, points on, on general aviation safety and, and the different devices that we can put in our airplane. Like Victoria said with the experimentals, I mean, they have a lot of devices on the aircraft that provide for much greater safety than in uh, you know standard a uh, regular manufactured aircraft. And, uh, and so you know don't, don't discount flying in those uh, experimentals. Go up with someone, you know. Check it out sometime. But uh, but anyway, that's that was terrific that that uh, that the listener sent in that email. If you have a question or or want us to discuss that type of topic, we'd love to hear from you. So just go to stuckmikeavcast.com/slash/contact. Our picks of the week. Actually, let's move on now to our picks of the week. I think we have a few picks of the week here. Some really interesting stuff. And Victoria, I know you've been chomping on the bit. Uh, literally, to, to discuss your pick of the week here. So, <laughs> Victoria, why don't you, why don't you go ahead and uh, and, and uh, talk a little bit about yours? Well, um, as you know, I have been uh, doing a crowdfunding campaign for Turbo the Flying Dog book series, and I came across this website yesterday and got really excited about it. It's ca- called skyfunder.com. And um, I'm just going to read the tagline here. It's flexible worldwide crowdfunding for aerospace and aviation projects. So kind of wish I saw this earlier. Uh, We would have considered possibly putting our crowdfunding campaign up on here. And uh, Skyfunder has a flexible version where you still get the money even if you don't hit your goal. And then they have the set version where it's all or nothing. So a uh, very cool new site for pilots 
looking to raise money for a round-the-world flight, um, just maybe you're getting your instrument rating, want to raise some money for that, um, raise some money to donate an aircraft to some organization, things like that, uh, skyfunder.com. Skyfunder.com. That sounds pretty cool. I I like that. Um, We'll have that out there in the show notes. Don't forget to go to the show notes on episode 81. uh, Rick, what was your pick of the week? Yeah, I was um, looking to update my software uh, recently after some some hardware changes and was reminded to at least mention once again, and I I think I've mentioned this before, um, about uh, Log10 Pro for the Mac. I don't know if you guys use Log10 Pro. It's a Coridine product. It's a basically electronic logbook. That probably, I think it's the definitive one in the Mac side anyway. Um, and they've they've been pushing the updates, and it now since since the one I originally had, uh, this current one uh, now syncs through iCloud with um, your iPhones and iPads, and is really really overkill for someone like me, um, you know, recreationally GA flying. But for people who have very complex uh, and frequent logging needs. It's a uh, it's a pretty deep and um, you know and well respected database for uh, for an electronic logbook. So um, anyway, that's log. I just I, I thought I'm going to bring that up because I, I thought I think it's a great program. Log10 Pro for the Mac and iOS, and it's by Coridine. So that'd be a good app for flight instructors, I assume. For sure, uh, you know all sorts of people. I mean, it's really it's a it's an impressive database program aimed at uh, logging flight time uh, with all sorts of note options and fields to complete and whatever. And also, they also have a kind of a quick setup mode, so you can say, "Here's the kind of flying I'm doing," and it'll kind of configure itself for that. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a good one. Like I said, I'm not using a tenth of its power, but um, I'm glad I've been using it. So. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a great product. I like it a lot. I I don't use it. You know, I maybe use a, maybe a one one hundredth of its power. You know, I just log to from landings. That's it. Uh, I should put more information in there, but really, really good stuff. It's it's very robust. It really is. Yeah, it'll track. You know, you can put in all the all your uh, key future dates that you know. So when is my medical? When is my this that? And and it'll it'll give you warnings on all that. I mean, it's just it it has a lot of nice functionality. So. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's a good pick of the week. I, uh, I'm going to go into more of an entertaining type of pick of the week, and mine actually is Pilot Gateways. Uh, excuse me, Pilot Getaways. Pilot Getaways, I should say, .com. And that's actually a magazine, and it talks about, you know, just having fun with your airplane, getting away, getting in. You know, that's one of the things I always dreamed about, just taking off and heading to some island. And that's why I started flying. And really what caught my eye on this website, if you go to Pilot Getaways, I don't know how long they have this up there, the June-July, excuse me, the July-August issue, it uh, it has an issue about the, uh, I'm sorry, the May-June baseball, bikes, and beer. And right there, they got me at beer. And I said, I'm going to go check this out. And as I started flipping through it, I saw some amazing photos, terrific pictures. It's uh, Plane and Pilot. is one of my favorite magazines for, for that type of adventure uh, reading, but this has become one of my favorites. Is the Pilot Getaways, 
and it's real adventure travel for aviators. And, uh, you know, you look at Victoria and Bob and what they do with their airplane. This is, uh, they should have an article on, uh, on you guys in this magazine. It's, uh, it's pretty, actually pretty cool. a really great magazine. The photography is amazing too. Just, I like looking at all the pictures. And, uh, I think, uh, as far as photographers and Jessica Ambat's in there, and then there's another gentleman that's in there too. That's an, an excellent, uh, photographer, but all the photographers, no matter who they are, do a great job, uh, with pilot getaways and they, they bring the fun back to flight. And to me, um, that, that's just what's really lately in the past year gotten me back into GA is where can I go with this airplane? What can I do? It's it's like this magic carpet that's opened up this wonderful world to me, and this magazine has has brought that that excitement back to aviation for me. So I do appreciate that with Pilot Getaways. Uh, Eric, what what's your pick of the week? Well, I'm glad I didn't go with my first pick of the week because then um, Rick and I would have had to argue about logbook solutions. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'll have to. <laughs> I'll save that one for later. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I want to. I want to know. Well, no, I I used Log Ten uh, quite a while back. But you have another um, one. And I've, I found another one that actually, I, I know this sounds terrible, it does less than Log 10, yeah, so I don't good. feel as bad about all this <laughs> stuff I don't use. Yeah. And I, I really like it because it's, uh, well, anyway, that's not well, my do it, of the week, Yeah, do it next, do it next I'll, show. I'll run that's it, I'll run it next time. Yeah. I was actually thinking about doing that, and I said, no, we're talking about risk in this episode, so I should talk about um, a risk tool that I like very much. Um, and I like just about everything the, the Air Safety Institute does, AOPA's Air Safety Institute, but I absolutely love their flight risk evaluator. Um, now, those of you who don't know, um, you can access any of ASI's online courses, uh, thunderstorm flying, knowing charts, the airspace system, basic aerodynamics, anything you can imagine. You can get in and you can do those courses, and they're great just you know, building knowledge, and they count for wings credit, by the way. Most of them do. Um, but they have an entire course on understanding flight risk. So, you know, and keeping it with the theme of the evening, the, the ASI online course on flight risk is outstanding. You can enter in tons of information about you, and they will tell you basically um, what your overall risk rating is in flight. But there's a mobile version, access, accessible rather, by your uh, mobile phone, either uh, Android or uh, Apple iOS. Um, that's just the Flight Risk Evaluator mobile app. The cool thing about it is uh, when you put in the airport you're going to leave from, it accesses uh, an internal database and pulls in the current wind, direction, and speed, um, uh, as well as weather conditions. So, um, you know, if you're going to go flying, it actually will consider the weather for you. You don't have to tell the app what's going on around you. It will tell it. It'll tell you. Um, it knows what time it is. It knows what time the sun sets. So if you don't have enough night currency or enough night proficiency, it'll let you know, hey, by the way, this is getting really close to sunset. So you might want to consider that. Um, great way to constantly be thinking about risk, not to the point where you're morose and you don't enjoy the fun of flying, but so that you are considering those risks that are always present around you, that you're accepting the ones that are acceptable and you're not accepting the ones that aren't. So ASI, ASI Flight Risk Evaluator is my pick of the week. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Eric. I really appreciate that one. That's uh, something we can use and goes towards our, our wings credit for our recurrent training. The After Landing Checklist. 
Great stuff, guys. This has been a terrific conversation. I've really enjoyed this. A lot of good input from everybody, and uh, it's opened my mind to a few things. Uh, I might think twice about a couple things, and I hope uh, you listening, you are doing the same. I hope we've uh, maybe not answered every question. Maybe we've actually opened your mind to more questions. We'd love to hear from you. Just go down to stuckmikeavcast.com slash contact and, and send us a message. Also, again... Check out aviationuniverse.us, our, our sponsor. They, they've uh, been sponsoring us for a while, and they're wonderful people, and uh, they're the people that help uh, bring this programming to you. Well, folks, uh, from myself, Carl Valeri, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Victoria Zeichel, we, uh, <laughs> we really appreciate your listening. And remember, you know, this truly is a serendipitous journey. If, if you don't go out there and enjoy the journey, and you don't go out and fly, you don't get out of bed in the morning and do something fun, uh, and take a little bit of risk in life, yeah, it's not. It's going to be a boring life. Just go out there and enjoy it and uh, enjoy flying. Get up in that airplane and uh, just try to mitigate those risks. Uh, appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.